0: Okay, if you've got a Bible, can you please turn to um, Acts chapter 2 uh, and verses 41 to 42. Uh, if you are a visitor here, we're on a short series. This is number three. Uh, we're looking at, uh, they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayers. And uh, so that's where we are. We've got, you've got this one this morning. With a controversial painting. (laughs) If you've watched the Da Vinci Code, this painting has caused more problems and caused more books to be written. In Christian bookshops than I've ever known before in my previous church uh, the Da Vinci Vinci Code came out while we we were leading another church and it's really interesting isn't it because when a film comes out uh, we all get jumpy about it the the last one to do that was Harry Potter wasn't it Harry Potter was going to ruin the church forever the Da Vinci Code was going to go it's interesting though if you look in a bookshop you can buy it for two quid (laughs) so uh, sorry that's just it's irrelevant really okay Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 42. They're all going, what is that painting anyway? They don't know, do they? well Anyway, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 42. Uh, So those who received the word were baptised and uh, there were added that day about 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Uh, We are uh, looking at uh, four foundational uh, priorities of church life. Uh, Devotion to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the fellowship. Today, breaking of bread, and next week, prayer. You'll all be on the front row for that one. Uh, But I'd like you to to do that. Uh, We have seen uh, that all of them come with a description of their intensity uh, and uh, commitment. When you read the phrase, they devoted themselves, doesn't it create in you emotive and emotional feelings? Where you are, where we are, where we should be, where you should be. And yet I actually find this one of the most inspiring and dynamic descriptions of the early church. Wouldn't you like to be in a church that was epitomised by the fact that it was devoted to? Wouldn't you like that one? Wouldn't wouldn't that be great to be known by Wrexham Borough Council as the bunch that were a devoted bunch? And yet these were the first words ever written about the church. That's extraordinary. This this wasn't how they would become when they were mature, when they'd learnt one or two things, This was how they began. Can you imagine what a platform that is then? If they're devoted now, they're going to be bursting at the seams in about a few weeks' time. I just like that. And actually, what we can see is that these short words they devoted themselves to would launch them and move them to radically change everything, including the world. How do you change the world then? You get a bunch of people and they become devoted to just four things. Simple, isn't it? Yet we have a lot to learn. The, the Greek word, is the, the Greek word for devoted, is proskaterio, which actually means to join, to adhere to, uh, to be ready, to give attention to, to be faithful. It carries the idea of single-mindedness, commitment and full dedication. That's the idea uh, that it has. And this morning we're going to take those ideas and we're going to look at them in the context of the very controversial subject of um, breaking of bread. Here's the good news is that I preach this sermon and next week I'm on a plane. So if you've got any questions in regard to this, Steve and Phil, our other elders, would be very pleased to spend hours of time with you discussing what I've raised this morning. And the reason is that the blooming subject is an hot potato. It just is, isn't it? Everywhere, every church you go. I have to say that I was in a pastor's meeting on Thursday, a pastor's meeting, and we were in an old church building and the the people in the church had found out some of those wooden. You remember these these wooden communion things with the with the posh handle and the little holes in that you put the thing, and they'd found them in this. We were just meeting to pray, and somebody bought them out. And in a fit of, I don't know, sort of overwhelmed traditionalism, whatever it might be, somebody said don't throw them away we will have them and you can imagine the look on my face and the I want you to know at this point I was self-controlled the spirit of self-control came upon me and I mainly because I hadn't got a clue I thought we were charismatic people and they were going oh no you can't throw these away had I been there first they'd have been in the bin right this is now. Uh, this is my, wrangling you already. Let's wrangle you a little bit more, because this is comes with huge controversy, doesn't it? The Catholic Church versus the Evangelical Church. Is this the literal blood and body of Jesus? What are we being asked to do? Are we being asked to be devoted to a practice? A what? Are oh, we been asked to do that, a tradition? And if so, how much? Are you a every Sunday person? A once a month, a, don't, don't yawn in my, else I shall come and yawn in your doctor's surgery. You think that I won't, but I will. <laughs> that's to, see, what you don't know is that I see everything. Well, that's to it. <laughs> it's gone red. Hey, that's, they'll sit like this now. Like but it's true isn't it? how much and why how much how to embarrass your friends but, but it's true how much do we do it we so often what people come to me and they come and say to me and they'll say now how much do you do this you know and that's the question they will do they, you know, I've been even asked people have asked me that before they want to even come here so they've rung me up and they've said, hello, I'm so-and-so, I'm from diddle I would like to think about joining your church. Next question, how much do you do communion? I normally waffle at that point because I just think, if that's what it's all about then I'm not going to answer you. And some of those people we've never ever seen because in the end I've actually capitulated, told them how much we do it and they go, oh no, not, no, no. And they've gone. Extraordinary. Here's a question for the theologians. Phil Harmon, you can answer this in the week. Uh, in this passage, why is there no mention of wine? It's good, isn't it, that one? <laughs> Where's the wine gone? Okay, uh, that's one for Phil Harmon. Uh, what does the practice look like? How many times have we been in so many different churches to find it done the other way? I don't know whether you saw CCK on the, on the BBC um, morning service that they showed from CCK. I'm hoping that you were here, but uh, they, you, can find, you could find it on iPlayer. They did it and they did communion with 1,200 people and they had bowls and dipped the bread in. So they took a line, they had pita bread. Oh, I'm sorry, it's just that you're there. If there. was people. Just get Rachel and Tim to sit there. They had pita bread. Pita bread! Oh. Did it? was it garlic flavoured? <laughs> <laughs> and they, they had it in, and they walked along and dipped it and went in. And I can remember just talking in, in circles saying, did you see it? And, they were all, and there was, there was controversy, it was controversial. People go, mm, not so sure about that then it was just the way that there is so many ways here's one do we break bread or should we have the lord's supper or should we have communion when i was little we had communion you had communion and uh, i it's interesting that you know uh, communion isn't just about breaking bread but we have communion if you're going to have communion, actually, the Latin word is, uh, for communion means uh, sharing one thing all in common. So actually, the verses to come where it talks about you doing, uh, selling all your possessions, that is communion. So if you're going to have communion, the next thing you're going to do is sell the Merck, Steve Hawkins, and give it away to somebody in the church so if you're standing behind elder steve hawkins and he says to us i'd like to invite you for communion what you do is you break bread with him you 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 take the bread you whatever and you take the keys it's just as simple as that because communion is not just this thing it is broader fellowship and that is what we've done to it it's koinonia, fellowship phil Harmon. one cup or many cups controversial one piece of bread, or do we cut the loaf up into little squares and put it on a plate? Have you seen that one before? That sort of thing. Uh, it's, uh, the other thing is this, that we, we used to do in my church, is that what we would do is that we would say at the end of the service, what we would like to do now is break bread. And we'd say to all the visitors, you have to leave. It's, and it's true, the service would end... And all the people that we had invited into our church, we have got to go because we are breaking bread. So leave. (laughs) It's true. And as a good strict Baptist, which I was and, and that sort of stuff, we would usher them out. It's the only church that I've ever known that we would say, come in, that's it, go out, clear off. We want to do this bit now. My mom and dad used to do this in communion, which is really interesting. I noticed that this happens here. You have to forgive me. It's 70 times seven. Um, what, you know, what you have to do is, is that it happens there. That as soon as you take communion, what happens is people change. The chin sort of sort of goes out, hmm. and we adopt a sort of pose with it, which is very <laughs> contemplative. And if if somebody does something, you know, used to my my mum and dad used to go, We are now going to break bread in church. You must be quiet. That was how I was brought up. And it's interesting, as soon as you can have an absolute party in church and what happens is you break bread and the demeanour of Christians changes. It just is just odd. These are all the hot potato ones. We'll get into the teaching in a minute, but it's quite funny, isn't it? The other one is, have you noticed, hygiene comes into it. Where does it say in the Bible about hygiene? But what do we do? We go, if you have one cup, no, not having that. Why am I not having that? Because Rupert Leslie has sipped it before me. And then we have to have the holy cloth. (laughs) We have the holy cloth. Before I can give it to somebody, we pour it in, we have to wipe it I mean, is it we'll have wet wipes you know what are you going to do next spray domestos and put that on just to and we sort of do that we just before we we sort of bring it up to somebody and just before we, we look into their eyes and we wipe 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 and we pass it on and we do this and sort of it becomes a wiping thing and some churches, I don't know where you've ever been, because when you get to travel a little by me, you, have, you buy special cloths. I've seen blue silky ones to match the thing, the tablecloth that we put on, blue silky things. And, they put, and it becomes this sort of thing. The other one is, who administers it? In my day, the deacons administered it. You can't do that. And there's horror, isn't there, when some 14-year-old spotty thing just goes up to the front and gets it and and it's it's just really it ju- oh, it's just a problem so to solve all those problems and to answer all those things before we go home here we go let's first start off context so the trouble is that you're all going i know how i would do. we had in our pews i we had uh, i i belong to a strict baptist church you see and there were about uh, be about 800,000 seater church 800 to 1,000. And we, we had these things that moved, these metal things that were hidden under the pews. And what happened is that at the end of the service, this is true before we move to content, we, we, what, what happened is that the pastor would say, pagans, go. So, and it, which is just awful, isn't it? So everybody would go. And then the pastor would ferry back up to the front. And he'd, he'd now not stand in the pulpit, there was a proper table, usually inscribed. Now it'd be bought, bought from a website, wouldn't it? Carved with grapes on the front. It's true, there were carved grapes and loaves all on the front of this thing. And he would stand at the front like this and he'd go, let us pray. And then what would happen is that everybody simultaneously would move these metal things from underneath the pew to bring them round to put the little glass cup in. So he'd go, let us pray. And he'd go, "Ew!" But it was in sort of, you can imagine these hundreds of things, <laughs> and you just think, what? And, it, and, and as a kid, as a little boy, at that point, you are wetting yourself, aren't you? But as soon as you s- show any laughter, you just, your dad goes, bonk! And he goes, do you not know what this is? Oh, uh, yeah. But do you not know what that look sounds like to a 12-year-old or an 8-year-old? Just anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Shut up, Joanna. <laughs> anyway, to help us with these problems. Okay, we have to look at the context. The context uh, is the 3,000 people had asked the apostles, verse 37, uh, brothers, what shall we do? and what happens is based on what the apostles taught them or what is it that what they would instruct them to do so the question is what did the apostles know about breaking bread and you can't look at 1 Corinthians 11 to do this because to answer the question that question you have to look at what they knew not what they would write in the future you have to do that You can't look at it and say, ah, we know because we've got 1 Corinthians 11. Because at this point they didn't have 1 Corinthians 11, they only had what had gone previously. And that is very important in terms of understanding the Bible. It's true in regard to baptism and other things. And what they had was what we know in the Bible as the Lord's Supper. We can't go to 1 Corinthians 11 either because contextually 1 Corinthians 11 is actually not about communion. <gasps> if you read your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 11, it, t- it starts off with there is division amongst you. And the reason, one of the examples for that division is shown in Breaking Bread. It is an illustration about division. So I don't want us to use that. And it's an illustration between the rich and poor. So we have to look at what they did before Jesus died. Interestingly, that we can find that in Luke. And the writer to the Acts is Luke. So then we can understand that theologically that Luke is wanting us to see a continual flow of his writing. That's what he's wanting us to do. So he's wanting us to understand that this, these verses are placed in the bigger context of Luke's gospel and the book of Acts. So if you've got a Bible, no, you, well you don't have to, you, you can turn to Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 23. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as he told them. It's remarkable, isn't it? And and they prepared the Passover. Then onwards, uh, and when the hour came, he reclined at a table and the apostles were with him and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it amongst yourselves for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And when he took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, uh, the cup after they'd eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Note, it was more than once with the wine. Uh, new covenant in my blood Well behold the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table for the son of man uh, as, as it has been determined but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed and they began to question one another which one of them it could be who was going to do this the passage is divided into two sections one is the preparation of the Passover, and then the other one is what Jesus does and says during a Passover meal. So firstly, I want to look at lessons from the Passover preparation. We need to just get an idea of um, uh, uh, of the of what a Passover would have been like in those days. By the time we get to it at this point, it would have been quite an elaborate celebration. So it would have no longer been a simple meal. It would have took the form of quite a, 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 a wonderful banquet. It was to be prepared. In fact, in verse 7 to 13, four times uh, it talks about the preparation So it would have had some thought to it. It wasn't just, you know, come round. No, this was well thought of. And what was thought, what was part of that preparation is that you needed a bunch of people to celebrate with. So you needed to invite some guests to come with you. Then there was a lamb that needed to be roasted. And there was some wine that needed to be got and brought into uh, the room. There was other food that was prepared. The room, it's told, was made to get ready. So you had to set out the room for your guests. It wasn't just that we arrive and it was now the room needed preparation too. Now, although Jesus would later explain that he was the Passover lamb, nevertheless, it does set the scene for what's to come. And Jesus' explanation of his death and the significance of, of his death, was placed round a celebratory meal together with the the focus on fellowship and enjoying ourselves together. Although it's about the Passover lamb. It's about being together. It's about a feast together. It's about looking back to the significance of the Passover lamb. It's about eating together. And I want to suggest to you that that is still the best way to do it. I want to suggest to you that what we do often on a Sunday looks nothing like what we should be doing. That actually the most ideal thing is to, in the middle of a celebration, to stop and give thanks and break bread and just celebrate what Jesus has done. If you look at these, uh, if you look at Jesus during these short verses, he's active in his instructions. So he says to them, go and prepare the food. He says, go and look for a man. He says, go and prepare a room. And if you look at this, you can realize that Jesus is no helpless victim caught in a series of events that will lead to his death. Jesus is giving the instructions. Jesus is in control. Jesus is telling them what to do. Here's the wonderful thing, verse 13, and they went and they found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the pre- Passover. Isn't that awesome? I find that absolutely awesome. That Jesus is con- in control. We can often behave when we are breaking bread that Jesus isn't in control. That this is something that has gone drastically wrong. Oh my, Jesus has died. Jesus is, gone, is, is death. And we can sort of almost portray it as some sort of um, Shakespeare tragedy that we must sort of put on a demeanour and an attitude and and we must sort of uh, behave in a particular way. And yet, what we can see about Jesus is here is that he was in control of every event, including these events. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day uh, in accordance to the Scriptures. He didn't do all those things because the book told him to do those things. He wrote the book. He wanted to save you through his death. He wanted to be buried so that you might become part of his kingdom. He wanted to go through death and a tomb and be resurrected and be ascended. The Bible tells us, for the joy set before him. How was Jesus' radical, loving sacrifice sustained? It was sustained because there was a joy set before him. That was how he endured the cross. He endured the cross because on the cross... He knew that he was purchasing you. That's the wonder of it. That is the extraordinary wonder of God's grace. Yes, he would be exalted as Saviour and Lord and receive the pleasure of his Father in heaven, but also alongside with that is the pleasure of an innumerable people who beyond the grave would be with him in heaven. He's purchasing men for eternity. That's what we sing, don't we? That's what we do. So when we're doing this, we mustn't sort of put a victim mentality on what we do, but also we must pepper it surely with an amazing sense of gratitude and thankfulness and appreciation. And when you think of gratitude and you think of thankfulness and appreciation, You can't think of morbid and miserable, can you? The two actually don't go together. And yet we seem to do morbid and miserable. And yet it isn't like that. And I want to encourage us to let our thankfulness burst out as we're doing this. It's sort of almost like sometimes being in a queue, isn't it? We're just sort of in the queue waiting for that famous moment where I might just take this bread and drink this wine and and think, my, this is awful, isn't it? Jesus did not think that what he was doing was awful. He saw it as purchasing people for eternity. There's also an extraordinary occurrence that goes on prior to the upper room experience. Verses 10 to 13. He said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. What? Follow him. <laughs> when you go to Rexham, there's a bloke. He's going to be carrying six packs of fosters. Follow him. <laughs> Can you imagine? There's 12 of them. Did they follow him in line? How did they do it? He's gone left. Gone left. I mean, this is what this is. One he's got a he's got a he's got water. Let's imagine it's like this, and there's twelve of them. Follow him, okay? Okay, you read your Bibles how so you want to read it. To me, it's just quite. I just think it's a lead. It's hilarious, folks. Just imagine it. Just get your imaginations going. Anyway, follow him until the house that he enters. And then knock on the door and tell uh, until the master of the house, the teacher says to you, uh, where is the guest room? Can you imagine that one? You knock on the somebody's door. And you do not know. Not a clue. You've just followed this bloke round the city. He goes in and there's a knock on the door. And the first thing you say is, where's the room then? <laughs> it, it's, and what does he answer? He goes, oh, it's up here. <laughs> <laughs> It's do you do the. Uh, and, and he says, and he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And he went, he, and he went, and he found it just as. I don't know whether you've got this yet, but this is extraordinary in the sense of it being supernatural. It's not tradition, order, and process at all, is it? There's apparently there's words of knowledge, uh, from both sides. God speaks to a man and tells him that he'll meet a group of disciples. Jesus speaks to the disciples, telling him he'll meet a man. He tells them what, what they've got to do, both sides of the thing. The disciples have got to act in faith. They've got to follow the wally with the water. They've just got to do that. Okay, I'm going to do it. They are out of a limb. This guy's out of a limb. This is an exciting moment in the city. Can you imagine if you were these disciples? Because when they write this, they say, oh, it's just a passing comment. Oh, it happened exactly as he said. (laughs) It's just one of those wondrous moments where everything that God said, he did it. So I want to suggest this. This is not time to do tradition and formalism. This is time to have acts of faith. This is time to have words of knowledge. This is time to prophesy. This is not time for passivity. This is time for God activity. This is time for praying for people. This is time for allowing the Holy Spirit to work. This is a time for something supernatural. This is not a time for closing it out. This is a time for opening it out so that God could move. So we begin to get the picture of what these disciples were devoted to. And what the foundation of church life would be. So then we move on to the lessons from the Last Supper. And what I want you to notice is a change in the emphasis by the writer Luke. Because up to this point, Luke had referred to uh, themselves as disciples. And suddenly now he refers to uh, themselves as apostles. The apostles. Now, don't forget he's writing this in retrospect, but he sees that something is now significantly changing at this point. Up to this point, they were disciples. Now they were apostles. Verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at the tables and Luke records and the apostles with him. You see, a definition of a disciple is a follower. But the definition of an apostle is a sent one. You were sent. So why why did he... Why did he change this? He changed it because Jesus' death and burial and resurrection is also about sending people out. It's, it's It's not just about you and your personal relationship with Jesus on the cross. It is about what God did on the cross and wants to commission you to tell. And Luke is recording this by saying, hey now guys, we're apostles. We're the sent ones with this message of the cross. So breaking bread is not just a reflective. It's meant to stir you in regard to other people. It's meant to stir you in regard to the communities and the friends and neighbours that we have. It's meant to catch you and, and cause you to wonder about what not only has God done it for you, but can do it for dozens and dozens and dozens of other people. He's wanted to say to you, come on now, guys. You too are apostles. Be sent. Take the bread. Drink the wine. Yes, remember me, but go with the message. I know this is very simple, but look to the references to Jesus. He reclines with them. He says to them, he took the cup. He gives thanks on more than one occasion. He took the bread. He takes, takes the, cu- the cup again. He prophesies about the betrayer. The focus actually for them was not on what they were doing. The focus on, on them was what Jesus was saying. It's extraordinary again, isn't it? And yet we get so het up on the focus of what we are doing that we forget that we're supposed to be having him central. We just get et up on it. Jesus gets squeezed and the practice gets primary focused. It's time, guys, to stop and to ditch the preferences we have. The thoughts and the ideas of what wine, what bread, what plate, what cup, what cloth. Those are not the point. The point here is very clear. There is only one point. The point is Jesus. He's center stage. We're waiting for him to direct the time through the Holy Spirit as we break bread. It's actually supposed to be a prophetic moment where he speaks to us. Jesus begins by setting out what he is about to do what will not occur for him until he eats again in heaven. Verse 16, he says, For I tell you, I will not eat uh, uh, it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, of course, for them, there would be immense sadness. He's going to leave them. And what he does is that he leaves them with focus. He says, this meals together points to a greater meal, to uh, a better meal. To a wedding feast, as the Bible tells us. See, he's saying, look, it's not just about suffering, guys. It isn't just about that. It is about that, but it's not just about that. It's about also what we will be together in heaven and what that will be like. So we should be reflecting on both. what, What Jesus went through, but also what he invites us to. Revelation chapter 19 verse 9 And the angel said to me Write this Blessed are those who are invited To the marriage supper of the Lamb Can you imagine what that feast is like? A blessed feast I, I know what a wedding feast looks like Just four weeks Is it three? Like, you don't know You're the ones that got married I, You don't know Uh, Three, is it three? Is it three? Oh, I know what a marriage feast looks like because three weeks ago we had one. Now, can you imagine what a blessed wedding feast looks like? That's going to blow your socks away, isn't it? Eh? Won't the hog roast look good? No, it's in heaven. (laughs) You can't have a hog roast in heaven, can you? No pigs in heaven. Anyway, can you imagine? Anyway, Isaiah prophesies this feast of rich food and aged wine. Uh, He says that, that's how Isaiah says it. It will be a feast of rich food and aged wine. Lovely, like it. Luke says there's a parable and he says there are going to be people that will gather to it from all sides of the compass. What do we know? It's a blessed feast. It's a, I don't know whether I could get hold of it. It's a perfect feast in heaven with Jesus. I do you not look? You know, so when we're breaking bread, we are looking forward to this. We're saying we're having this, and it's a piece of bread, common, and a piece of wine, common. But there will be a time when we get to heaven, and boy, is it going to be good! It's extraordinary. Anyway, I think so. So, what does Jesus do? He takes two very ordinary things that are common in the Passover feast. He takes bread and wine and he does something with them uh, and helps them to remember using them. They're just ordinary. There's nothing much about the bread and the wine. When I worked a little bit for St. Stephen's Society in Hong Kong uh, with Jackie Pullinger, I was invited to a breaking of bread service. So I thought, okay, this is with a, a load of um, Hong Kong Chinese. So I'm there. And the, the, I don't know whether you've ever done this. This is my background. Who is going to bring out the elements? That's what we used to call it. Well, who, who's in charge of the elements? When I was little, I used to think that was the wind and the rain you know that my dad my dad was a deacon he's going to go out the back and he's going to bring the wind and the rain out and I got confused when he bought a silver tray that's not an element anyway anyway when they they went out the back and you have got to imagine and Jackie Pullinger stood up to the front and she said we get, we're going to do this by praying for you and uh, she emptied, emptied crisps into a big bowl and coca-cola into plastic cups well as a street baptist even I have my Limitations, and she uh, and so as a pastor, which you should never do. Pastors never ask people like Jackie Pollinger to explain themselves. It's just about. So I just said to her, "What are we? What are we doing?" She said, and she just said simply this: "She said, in your society, in our society, these are common things. We're just using the common things that we have got." It took some doing, but we got there anyway. Bread, and they took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's get very basic here. He broke bread not because of a symbolic breaking of the body, but because he wanted to share it amongst the twelve. It's simple really, isn't it? That's the way that he did it. He broke bread so that the twelve could have a bit. That was the way that he wanted to do it. I've seen so many people, I don't know whether you've been like this, pick up the bread and they break pieces off and they tell you to feel Jesus' pain. And they tell you about scourging and and you break bread and you think... and, And it's like sort of, you know, it's like standing a spider up, isn't it? And sort of saying, pulling the legs off one 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 by one. It's that sort of thing. And I've been there when that's been done. I want you at this moment to feel the pain of Jesus. And boy do you because it sort of almost comes over you, doesn't it, in a wave. You think, ah oh. let's get the the original right which we put broken in this and it's not broken, what, what, what does he ask them to do? He asks them to remember him how? This is my body which was given for you. That's the correct thing. We have interpreted over the years broken for you. It's not broken, it's given. You can check any Greek uh, theological book if you want to. It's something that we've added into it. So firstly, what have we been asked to do? This is my body. This is my body. What are you being asked to, to look at at the moment? He's saying, look, here's a piece of bread. This is my body. This is my body. You've been asked to wonder that God became man. That, be, that God became in, into this body itself was a wonder in itself. So we had a body. What does the Bible say? The Word became flesh and it dwelt amongst us. That is extraordinary that God has come to us in the form of a body. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and the Word was God, and the Word became became flesh, and God became flesh, and God became human, and Jesus Christ was human, and Jesus Christ was God. And you're supposed to go, whoa. You're supposed to hold the bread and go, what? You're supposed to wonder and marvel and, and that sort of stuff. That, that God was, was, was contracted to a span and became human. It's about the incarnation. It's about God having a body. <laughs> it's just extraordinary. This God became a body. You're supposed to... Shake your head and scratch it somewhat when you've got the bread in your hand. And the word of God became flesh and it dwelt amongst us. <laughs> he chose to come and dwelt amongst us. I used to think that that was that he came for a bit. He lived here for a bit. You know, Jesus came just 2,000 years ago, lived for a bit, went again. That's not what it actually says in the Bible. It says very clearly that when Jesus ascended, that he sent the Spirit to us. The Spirit is alos. The Greek is the same as. So that means that Jesus has all, all time spent with us. That God has always in all time been with us. That's why in Revelation chapter 21 it says, Behold the dwelling tent, if you like, of God is with men. He will dwell, he will dwell pitch his tent with them and they will be his people. God is with us. We're supposed to catch that. That God came in bodily form and is with us. God is with us. Secondly, when we break the bread, we remember that this body, uh, which is given for you, uh, which is given for you, not broken for you, but is given for you. That's the word. And so you remember that. You remember that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God loves the world, God loves it. That is the totality of fallen, human, sinful beings. Such is his love and his intensity. And such is the magnitude of his love for you that he is moved to send his one and only son. So I have received this new life because of a love of a giving God who so loved me that he gave his one and only son. And to be able to communicate with us initially, he sent, us in bod- he sent it to us in bodily form. <coughs> so now ask yourself, if I'm given some bread, <laughs> what should I do? It should ignite your soul. Surely the appropriate response is, when I look at it, just think, God gave his son for me and, and became like me. It's wonder, gratefulness, more. That's not silence, is it? It's just, wow. The other element is wine. And uh, likewise, uh, the cup after they'd eaten it, saying, uh, this is the cup that's poured out for you, a new covenant in my blood. I want you to notice there's no description of the cup. This is not a Holy Grail moment. We need to move away from... uh, uh, importing chalices uh, that you can get off church websites now. It isn't about the cup. Just for the wine bibbers amongst you, uh, when they did bri- uh, do this, they'd already been drinking wine beforehand and they would go on and drink wine afterwards. So it's not a moment where they just did that. He's making a point. He's making a point. Two things I want you to see stand out here. One is a cup poured out and the other one is a new covenant given and we'll finish on these. A cup poured out. I don't know whether you've done the bread thing where you've had the bread, you know, this is Jesus' body, it was broken for you. The the other one is the cup, wasn't it? I, I've I've been in where they've held up the cup and they've said, you know, can you see the nails? Can you, you, know can you, catch, you to catch the nails and the sword and you know, the blood dripping down. I, I say to Phil sometimes, I, I really don't like blood songs that we worship. It's just me. You probably love them. I, I don't like them that much. Phil knows that, but he still does them anyway. But and, it, and I just don't, and because when we do this sort of stuff, we sort of, you know, and, we, and I've heard people say, I want you to imagine the blood dripping from those nails falling onto calvary's hill working its way down the hill and touching jerusalem and beyond it's an awful image it's grotesque image actually it's not biblical and true either is it really and we do that we say, focus focus on the crown of thorns that was rammed into his head. And, and, and I'm just looking there think, I don't know whether it does this for you. Perhaps it doesn't do this for you. I'm just feeling bad at this point. Utterly, utterly bad. That you, we are made to focus on the whipping and the beating. If you look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 8, let me read this thing to you. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. See the parallel, a poured out cup. It's exactly the same words. Through the Holy Spirit, who has been what? Given to us. What did we look at later before? Given. There's the same words. Uh, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for the unrighteous person though perhaps a good person uh, one would dare to die but god shows his love for us that while we were s- god shows his love for us <laughs> god shows his love for us that while we were sinners christ died for us what is poured out a life yes but just a life just a life no it's it's a life given because of love for us God shows his love for us that while we were sinners Christ died for us it isn't just it is it is the love was poured out for us on the cross Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 In him we have redemption Through what? His blood What does that look like? The forgiveness of our trespasses According to what? The riches of his grace we, How did he do that? Which he lavished on us In all wisdom and insight Isn't that wonderful? If you stop In him we have redemption Through his blood That's what we do That's how we do communion In him you have redemption Through his blood Oh no Really? I need to feel awful about myself then. No. How does that look like? We get forgiveness from our trespasses. We get the riches of his grace. His love which is lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. It was his wisdom and insight to do it this way. So why finish at the blood? Jesus is... Pouring out of the wine wants us to get a depth of the generosity of the lavish, extravagant, over-the-top, bountiful, immeasurable, rich love poured out for us. Don't sip it. God, please, come on. New Covenant, we'll finish with this. The New Covenant... The promise that was prophesied. We need to grasp that when we're breaking bread, we're breaking bread as part of the new covenant. Not as the old covenant. The old covenant which drove us to guilt and all those sort of things. To a law that we could not achieve. No, this is part of the new covenant. It was prophesied in Jeremiah, Behold the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant which I made with their fathers. Then I took them by the hand uh, to bring them out to that land of e- Egypt my covenant, which they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this will be a covenant which I will make uh, with the house of Israel uh, after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon my hearts their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. So, the new covenant is about God's promise. It is God's promise to forgive sin. And we do that, don't we, when we break bread. We say, okay, what we want you to do is we want you to remember your sin. And we do that and we and we, we, we hold the bread and we whatever and we go oh, I've got 35 years and just a moment to do this in. And I want you to remember how sort of rotten you really are. And God says, no, that's not part of the new covenant. I have forgiven their sin. What we should be doing when we're breaking bread is establishing the fact that our sins have been dealt with though as far away from the east as to the west, that God has done an incredible work through his son. He said, it is finished, which means that our sins are forgiven. So we come back to the God saying, This stuff reminds me that I'm forgiven. That I am not a sinner. That I am a saint, for heaven's sake. Correct. Yes, you get this? That's what we do, don't we? Oh, no. There's this sin and there's that sin, and you get there. That's why there's not enough bread and not enough wine for you. But the idea is for it to be pictured that new covenant is wonderful good news, it's not a mere possibility. It's something as well, because it's a new covenant that God wants to do. So it's God's covenant. The new covenant is God's promise. That's the wonderful thing. God's vow. How what does God vow for you? He wants to what? Dig up your sin. So that you He wants to get it out there so you can No, He wants to remember your sins no more. That's part of the new covenant. So that's part of taking the wine and the bread. And he says, I will be your God forever, is part of the new covenant. That is wonderful too. I just find that exciting that he says, I will be your God forever. So when we're going there, we're not thinking, oh no, can I enter into this? Can I take this? No, God's our God now forever. So we can deal with those two things, can't we? The first problem is guilt from sin. Jesus is shedding blood means that we, can, we are forgiven from our iniquity. That's the baseline. <laughs> guilt can go. Absolutely, guilt can go. If you're feeling guilt at this moment in time, the guilt that you have is either put on you by somebody else or yourself. It's not God. That's the wonderful thing. We have to align ourselves. The new covenant in my blood means that you are guilt-free. He remembers your sins no more. You don't need to feel them any longer. The other problem is rebellion. A tendency to run away from God and the way that, and he, and the way that he works through that. How does he work through that in the New Covenant? It's, he, writes it on, he writes this thing on our hearts. What does that mean? It means simply this, that I change in the way that I am in regard to my attitude to worship and things like that. That I no longer need to earn approval. I no need longer to, to earn those sort of things. That I worship because something wells up within me and I want to. So this morning, if you didn't enter into it, the problem really still lies with you still have to grasp the wonder and the extraordinary person in Jesus Christ. Because when you do that, it wells up. And you'll often hear, I've heard Phil and Steve, and I know that because i have been in elders' meetings, and they've come out. we met so-and-so. And I said, what did you say to so-and-so? We said to them this, that Jesus is the answer. And I said, oh, really? And I've heard, that, I've heard that in many elders' meetings over there. Here's one from Nigel as well. Jesus still is the answer. He still is the answer. And what happens is this, is it comes up from within you. If Jesus doesn't burst out, it's supposed to come out like streams of living waters. That's how it's supposed to come out. So it's supposed to catch you. So no longer am I trying to deal with things and work things out. No, Jesus burst with it. I want to serve him. I want to love him. I want to tell people about him. I want to be a part. It's, it's on my heart now. I want to be different. I don't want to be like this. So if you did the, the, you know, the hands in the pockets and twiddling your thing, oh, flipping neck fill arm. Because you can do that. He's, done that. he's done that verse 19 times the rat bag now. Over and over again. Over and over again. And you just think, oh, blow, lost in wonder, love and praise. How is that? Jesus, it's written on your heart. You need to get a new covenant perspective of Jesus. Get it in there. It's a gift. It's his gift to you. I'll put my spirit on you and I'll cause you to walk. I find that extraordinary. We'll finish with this. I wanted to sing a song. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace who bought again. Fr- uh, sorry, try again. Steady, quiet, Nigel. Now, may the God of peace who bought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep prophesied earlier, by what the blood of the eternal covenant knew, equip you with every good equip you with everything good that you may do his will. See how that's working. Working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory for forever and ever and ever. Let's do that very slowly so that we catch this, how it works. Now the God of peace who, who bought again From the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah? God did it. God saved you. God sent. All those things we need to know. We need to know it's his work. In which way did he do it? How did he want to call you? Jenny, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. By an act of wonderful shepherding. That's the heart. Did it cost him? Yes, it was blood. Of what? The eternal covenant. He shed blood so that you might know what? The forgiveness of sins, the release of guilt, the wonder of Jesus. How does that affect you? When you catch that, it equips you with everything good that you may do his will. When you catch that, you respond to him. That's what you catch. You catch this wonderful Jesus, and you go, i respond to that. That's how it works. That's the new covenant. Working in you that which is what? Pleasing in his sight. When you come to break bread, when you come to take and drink wine, you, we need to know that we are pleasing in his sight. It's not the worst of moments. It's the most wonderful of moments that we have become pleasing to God's sight through Jesus Christ. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says, to him be glory forever, amen. That's the statement after it goes, oh, come on. to him be glory forever, amen. There it is, the blood of Christ. He is pleased with you because of Jesus. Drink, therefore, eat, therefore. He's pleased with you. Be devoted to the right stuff, not the wrong stuff. Shall we stand?